Today's guest is experienced in on-air, specifically, by the way, in afternoons and mornings. He has a history of programming, too. But listen, today's guest also made a decision at some point to sell radio, like, you know, in the sales department. And that has made a difference that we're going to hear about today. He believes, and he works hard. It's not just belief. In our business, we often talk about the importance of managers who don't ask their people to do things that they wouldn't do themselves. Let me tell you something. Today's guest has done a lot of different roles in radio. Some of them may surprise you. He's willing, he's experienced, and he's about to share with us. I think it's going to be very valuable. This sounds like exactly the kind of person that we really love to talk to on our podcast. Welcome to the Encouragers, the Radio Rally podcast on Apple, Audible, Spotify, almost anywhere you get your podcast. Our goal is always to encourage radio pros at all levels. If you are a regular listener of this podcast, listen, you know this. We drop a fresh weekly episode featuring a radio pro who's working right now in radio. We do this every Sunday to enjoy our podcast. You only have to be interested in others. Be open to encouragement, advice, connections, tools to get ahead, and ways to make your radio career more profitable and successful. This is my cutesy little way of saying this podcast is about you if you work in radio. Each week, we have an opportunity together, you and I, to get a snapshot, to see a snapshot of an individual in our business right now. This is not about retirement, not about somebody who used to do it. It allows us to see radio from a different perspective today, right now, uh, maybe a, a different career arc, and hear how they're embracing radio right now. My name is Lloyd Ford. I'm with Rainmaker Pathway Consulting Works. Now, listen, uh, what we call ourselves is pretty simple. We are RPC. Everyone knows that every single programming consultant focuses on music, talent coaching, and marketing, except one. The one works on music, talent coaching, and marketing, and we also help local radio clients leverage those improvements into more sales and bigger revenue growth. Does that sound like something you need in 2024? Even our name means pathway to money. When we go to work for a client and they follow our collaborative process and strategy, their revenue and profit margin rises. Ideas are the new technology. Where do your ideas come from? Are your local radio stations programmed and positioned to collect the most money in, in your local radio market today? Do you need better sales recruitment? We can help you. Schedule a free meetup. It's easy. First consultation is free at Highly Confidential, F-O-R-D, at RainmakerPathway.com. I have this to share with you as well, by the way. On this podcast, every single quarter, we launch an exclusive radio sales event, really. And do you, do you want help uh, that you can give to your local radio sellers to close more business each quarter? Of course you do. Our Q1 radio sales event is coming January 11th, and I want you to know all about it. We're calling the Q1 event Digital Profit and You. Chris Fleming from CD Media Consulting will be my co-host on January 11th, but we'll also bring on-the-ground experts, including Joe Brown. He's a digital sales manager for Cumulus Media in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. 
in addition to bringing digital sales experts and talking strategy and opportunity, we're going to talk about the largest transfer of wealth in radio history and what to do about it. Sound interesting? You know what I'm talking about. It's coming January 11th, and we announce another guest expert soon at RainmakerPathway.com. We're just uh, probably less than a minute from talking with George Viola, and he is the market manager for Bicoastal Media in Medford, Oregon. A big thank you to Joe Kelly for producing the Encouragers, the Radio Rally podcast, which we make available just minutes after we record this live interview. We sling it out into social media. That's how people first really kind of come in contact with this podcast. Then they find out that they can get it on their smartphone. And there's over 140 episodes. And they're like, well, we want to say thank you to JustJoeProductions.com also for creating our audio footprint and distributing our podcast so you can get it free on your smartphone. See what you could get for free in addition to that from our team in our free blog section at RainmakerPathway.com. There's something every single day for you, including our encouraging sales success series and our more than live and local series. Now, let's see what we can learn from this week's guest. George, welcome to the Encouragers, the Radio Rally podcast. How are you, sir? I'm well today. Lloyd, thank you. Uh, thank you very much for having me on. It's our pleasure. Listen, uh, I, I'm going to get right into it. Where are you from? And can you start by sharing with us maybe the first experience you had as a radio listener before you were in radio? Sure. So uh, I, I grew up in a small town in Northern California, Lakeport, uh, in a resort community a couple of hours uh, north of San Francisco. And um, my introduction to radio was through my parents primarily my dad who always had a radio station on either in the garage or we listened to it in the car and i we of course listened to uh, am uh this is back in the, the early 70s early to mid 70s and i immediately uh took an affinity to those big am sounds um uh rko's kfrc in san francisco uh the nbc on o and o um KNBR in San Francisco, and it was immediate. I was I was hooked from that minute on, and my dream was to someday be a disc jockey. And uh, lo and behold, uh, here we are. Uh, you know, look, you just made a very long process sound really like like that, but it's not like that. I looked around. You have a very interesting background, George. It appears to me that you started on the programming side of the business and really on air. Can you tell us about that first job? Who hired you? Sure. It was uh, my first, very first job was in my hometown. Um, prior to me leaving high school, or just about the time I graduated, um, uh, I went to uh, the Columbia School of Broadcasting in San Francisco. I used to go one day a week. Um, and that was a way for me to get into our local AM station, because at mm. the time, they were hiring part-time people, and, and I had no experience whatsoever. But I thought, you know what, if I take this first step and, and get into broadcast school, maybe the ownership will see that, and maybe I'll have a shot at just coming down to the radio station. And so that, in tandem with a connection to a local friend, allowed me to get my foot in the door. I used to go to the station on weekends and watch Paul Redding um, do an air shift. And hmm. 
away we went. And, and not too long after that, he would let me segue some songs. Pretty soon I got to do a break on the air. Next thing you know, I'm doing a couple of hours ripping old AP uh, news copy, uh, you know, and posting it up on the board. Uh, and then that led into an air shift and, and grew from there. It's so interesting and, and so amazing when somebody lets somebody younger in the lane and takes them under their wing, tries to, to, to let them come along. You know, look, in the early part of your career, did you have programming in mind as a career path or mornings or what were you thinking? From the beginning, yes. I, I, once I had gotten my feet wet on the air and gotten mm -hmm. bitten by that bug, Lloyd, uh, yes. immediately I started thinking about, you know, programming is going to be where I want to go. And, and it was, and I pursued that uh, part of the industry for uh, at least the first 12 years of my career, um, you know, working through music director, promotions, uh, ultimately programming. I always tell people I was late to it because uh, I didn't become a program director until I was 23. But you see, I really started when I was like 13. So right. Yes. It really was late, but it wasn't late for most people. <laughs> Listen, yes. what came first for you, music director or music director, program director? What, what, where did the tip off happen where you, you stopped just being an on air talent and here you go? So, my second job, I was hired um, in Porterville uh, by Monty Moore, who was um, owned a station there. He had a partnership in Porterville, it was KTIP AM. Uh, he was uh, most notably um, Major League Baseball announcer on NBC for a long time. But he had a station there, and I was hired to come down and do afternoons. And I was hired into the station as a music director. I hadn't ever had the position before, um, but they had an opening. They had my air check, and um, they, uh, the program director there uh, at the time, Bev Gorn, kind of walked me through it. Here's the process. Here's what you're thinking about doing with the station. At the time, it was a very soft AC. And mm -hmm. so here's what it looks like. Here's how you rotate the records. Yes, we were playing vinyl. Uh, here's how you rotate wow. 45s in the system. And here's what the three by five cards look like with the color coding. And here's how you rotate them. So that's where I got my start uh, in, in programming. And then um, the PD position would come later on in my next move. All right. So just for the millennials and others, who may not know, explain <laughs> a Q-burn. A Q-burn is when you uh, would place the uh, record arm needle onto the vinyl. And in the era when we still had to queue up our songs, uh, we had to set it up so we had just the, uh, we would set the record up so that when we hit our start button, either on the console or on the turntable, uh, it would give the music enough time to speed up to the proper speed. So in the era I worked in broadcast, you either play 33 RPM album cuts or 45 RPM vinyl discs, and you had to give that record enough time to get up to speed so that when the song started, it didn't sound something like this. Way back in the morning. Yeah. All right, so I just want younger people who listen to our podcast to really get an understanding of what you missed. You you really missed some fun. Now, yes. Now, look, George, you, you, you did traffic in Los Angeles. L.A. is kind of the heaven when it comes to traffic, I think, because, man, like, if you have a lot of traffic in your market and you're a radio person, you should just smile. 
What do yeah. all of us in radio not know about traffic since you work traffic in L.A.? It is. Uh, I equate that, Lloyd, to being a quarterback on an NFL team. Uh, before the ball is snapped, you have to read the defense. You have to know if they're in cover one man to man. You have to know where, uh, you know, where the monster or the monster linebacker is. You know, you need to know who blitzes. Traffic was a lot like that. I worked for Bob Johnson at Metro Traffic in Los Angeles um, for a short time, and it was intense. You have to, at least then, and this is what was before the advent of today's technology where you have mm. a screen that can show you slowdowns and traffic congestion. And in Los Angeles, the network is huge, but you had to memorize if there was a, if there was an issue on the 10, you had to know what alternate routes were by memory. So that required you to learn the Los Angeles traffic system, the, the side street systems, the cities, times of day, you know, all those little rural metro areas by name. And, and you had to know most of that by memory. So in a report where there's a stall on the I-10 at this exit, here's your alternate route. Slowdown's going to be 35 minutes. Or if you need to go this direction, you can take the I-5 North to San Bernardino, whatever. Um, yeah. But you had to know most of that by, by memory. And you know that there's going to be traffic in L.A. And you know it's going to be bad. And you know, uh, look, there's this, there's this dream that a lot of disc jockeys have about there being dead air. Right back in the yeah. day, I wonder if you have nightmares sometimes about L.A. traffic and being late to a traffic <laughs> update or something like that, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. have those. Yep. So let's talk about the 1980s. Look, you did afternoons and then you moved to San Luis Obispo, which uh, I, I know a little bit about that. Eventually, you began doing mornings on Sly 96, which I think is kind of a cool and interesting name for a radio station. Was it a goal of yours to do mornings? I, uh, yes, I, uh, I always wanted to be on in mornings, uh, liked morning drive. I'm an early riser anyway, and I, and I always liked mornings. I still do. Uh, when I went to, I was hired into Sly 96 originally um, by. Uh, Jonathan Hart, Jonathan Berger, the PD at the time there. Um, hmm. He hired me out of Klamath Falls. I came in as the promotions director and part of the morning, uh, there was a three-person team there. So part of a three-person team. I was responsible for topicality on the, on the program. So John was the anchor. We had a weather girl and I was responsible for topicality. And then, I find this uh, all to be fascinating, by the way, because you hear so many people today complain about having so many jobs. But here we are with you and we're already looking at you doing a bunch of different jobs. And this is not 2023 that you're doing a bunch of these different jobs. You're doing it back no. in, let's call it back in the day. Here's yes. where things get even more interesting for me when it comes to your story. You moved to KAGO and Key Broadcasting, 1988. You're doing mornings and programming. By 1994, listen to this, you make the leap across the hall to sales. then. You become the sales manager. Uh, please fill us in. How did this happen? I, in that period, um, had started a family and had younger children. And uh, in, in that market at the time, uh, air shifts were six days a week. You had to pull six days. You, you got one Saturday off, but the rest of the month, you pulled a six-day shift. So right. I did mornings Monday through Saturday. <clears throat> 
And also at the time I was the program director there. So if somebody called in, it was a Sunday night overnight, I had to cover it. So um, I figured out that I could sleep in on Saturday morning and make some more money if I jumped over to sales. Lloyd, true story. I literally walked into my GM's office. Uh, he was the owner, Bill Garrard, who since uh, passed. Uh, and I said to him, I said, Bill, I want to get into sales. And he said, really? And I said, yeah. And so we talked about it. He says, when do you want to start? I said, Monday. So the following Monday, I was, I was a new sales guy. I was blessed to be um, uh, mentored by a very, very effective seller. His name is Greg Durian, one of my best friends um, to this day. And um, he really uh, was, was uh, the catalyst for, for accelerating my sales knowledge. It's, it's one thing to work in a radio station in programming and understand what the salespeople do. But until mm -hmm. you actually wear those shoes, it's, it's a different animal. So that's right. Uh, listen, Greg, I, I want to, I want to ask you this. Were you good at selling? That's, that's part one of that question, by the way. Not originally. <laughs> okay. All right. I and can't. now this, is, this can be a question for you back then, or it can be a question for any seller who's listening to this right now. Let's say there's a first year seller or whatever. What makes the difference between, okay, I'm in it. I'm not good at this. And then developing to where you get more confidence and you do start to do that. Well, it came for me later. Uh, I figured it out. I figured you know, out the process and, and made sales manager because I understood how to close. Um, but I understood the mechanics of it, the very impersonal mechanics of, if you do this, this is what will occur. It wasn't until I went to work for my current employer by Coastal Media and Mike Wilson, who runs our company, and he's my mentor. Um, okay. he, he, that's where I learned the art of the conversation. So, Lloyd, the reality today is, and what I tell sellers in, in, in the conversations we have is, look, let's just have a conversation first. The rest of it will come around. It, right. it, it, I boil it down to this. What's your favorite movie? They'll tell you. You could talk about that movie. Maybe they've never heard oh. of it. If they haven't, here's a reason to watch it. Maybe they have watched it, but didn't like the lead. You know what? What if Tom Hanks were, leading that, were the lead in that movie? Oh, yeah. You can extend that conversation. That's when the light went on, and that's when my sales career really exploded. It's really interesting. That's all relationship. You know, we talked about this just a minute or two ago, how popular it is to say, you know, I wear many hats in this business today. You moved to Excelsior, uh, Excelsior, Lord, help me here, George. Excelsior. Excelsior. Yes, there right. it is. Communications 1997. You were the general manager and the news director. You were really making my <laughs> eyes itch. How did you end up as the general manager and news director? So the asterisk here is through uh, most of my beginning 10 years in broadcast, I did news in nearly one or all of those radio stations. So I always had either a new shift or a program or component. In, in part of my career, I was an ops manager for a news station um, in Monterey, Santa Cruz. I worked for Chet Tart at the time. I was his ops manager for that station. So I've always had a news background. Um, so I did that, but that wasn't where I wanted to land. But yes, uh, we went and carried the, the bulk of the workload and then, you know, produce news for the stations uh, in Morning Drive. I would imagine that's like typecasting, but also that probably helped you in sales because people knew you. 
as, exactly. as, an, as like an authority, actually. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah, so absolutely. Let, let, let's talk for a minute about the market manager's role. Here you are, you're responsible for sales programming, for hiring managers, for helping your employees become successful. That's that's really it. I always tell clients, you know, our job together is to make everybody else's job easier. Everyone today focuses on sales because it's so easy to see that as the revenue piece. What do you find is the most impactful way to learn who to hire for managing sales? You have to hire teachers. If you mm-hmm. can find teachers, that's, in my opinion, half the battle. Um, I inc- I encourage anybody that's in management, you know, my my colleagues. Um, I there's a, a person on on my team right now who I'm grooming for um, an upward um, elevation uh, mm-hmm. in sales management, and then hopefully ultimately in in market management. But I encourage teaching. I think that's the most important thing. The what we do, Lloyd, and this is for anybody and everybody that is in this business thinking about the, being in it or has has been. Yeah. It is it is always a moving target. Now, you could say, well, George, that's for any business, granted. Mm. But with the advent of our having to understand where digital is today, Lloyd, plus yep. Yep. the addition of our legacy side, plus the personnel um, components that go into it. If you can teach, ladies and gentlemen, it goes a long way. You bet. Culture, culture, culture. How to do yes. it. How to, how to empower yes. and make them feel confident in what they're doing, right? Yes. All right. So and- 1999 brought you to what may be more familiar turf to you. You went to work for a company called Coastal Media. By you- Coastal Media. Listen, yep. you appear to be someone who isn't afraid to get involved. Even here, you're doing sales. You're the GM. Are, are you on here too in this job? I'm talking about 1999. I, yeah, it was. Uh, it was not initially in '99, but I think 2001. Um, mm-hmm. I picked up uh, an air shift um, on one of our stations, KNTI, in that market that I was working mm-hmm. for originally, and so I. So I. I did mornings. I'd show up at four. Um, and do that. And then, uh, you know, I, I would pick up sometime around nine o'clock with my sales Mm. manager's duties and then ultimately, uh, market manager duties. So, uh, I'm not afraid of work, Lloyd, I guess that's the underlying theme here. (laughs) Yeah. This, no, I definitely get that. But I also will say this, if you've been a market manager across a certain amount of time, I'm just going to name a couple of things for you here. 9-11, the 08 financial crisis. COVID-19. Yes. You've been through some bumps like that. You have experience with things that you've never seen before. Okay. And so I think to some extent, you are well armed to take care of some of those bumps in ways that a lot of market managers may not be as familiar. Listen, I want to talk about sales training and supporting salespeople. In, In your opinion, are there any core basics that you believe when it comes to training and supporting your salespeople? I will go back to um, referencing teaching. Uh, I have a, a personally developed a, a program that allows uh, personnel that aren't necessarily familiar with broadcast to, 
to immerse themselves into it and at least get a fundamental feeling for it. And then what I what I try to do is find one or two of those pinnacles, one of one or two of those um, uh, affinities that a um, a marketer is going to have or or that shines for them, and try to exploit right. those, and then build the rest around that. Now, there there are many ways to approach this, Lloyd. As you know, there's the you know you go through the process, and and then you make sure they understand it, and you turn them loose, or you just turn them loose and let them swim in the deep end of the pool, or sure, um, yes. a combination of both of those. Right. Uh, but what, again, it comes down to, in my opinion, is, and I really focus on the, on this now, and this is, again, uh, you know, um, Mike, my mentor, is, is, is ingrained this in my mind, and let's just have a conversation. Let's mm-hmm. not get too deep in the weeds about having to close something on day two or on the right. first call or when, you, when that proposal shows up, which is a whole different conversation. But let's have a conversation. Let's just figure out, first of all, and I don't know where this lands with the audience, but first of all, let's figure out if they are a viable prospect for us. Because yeah. at the end of the day, we are a for-profit organization. Ding, ding, there ding. Is, there is, boy, there's a, I say this all the time. We are an elite group of individuals. If we show up to your event to have oh. a discussion with marketing about you, to my team, I say, understand, we are an elite group of individuals. We don't have to apologize for anything. We do not need to beg for your money. Right. We have solutions to problems. So That's let's right. start there. And then secondly, let's figure out if there's a need. If there isn't, hey, great. We're still friends. We'll talk again. And let's move mm-hmm. on to the next thing. And I think in my career, this specific point is what I see time and time again is I constantly see and feel like parts of the industry are struggling to just, we got to get money on the books. We got to close this deal today or the sun won't come up tomorrow. The reality is the opposite. So let's extend the conversation and make sure we're doing the right thing for the right people. I heard uh, Dave Bessler say this on another uh, call I was on uh, from Hubbard that let's, Let's offer our best marketing opportunities first. And I'm paraphrasing, but that's mm-hmm. how I approach it as well. Smart. I love this conversation. It's so instructional uh, to, to anyone who wants to get in the lane. I mean, I love the idea. Of, let's just have the conversation. All right. So listen, and now I get to tweak you a little bit. We strongly <laughs> believe that creativity is a key to strong local radio creativity is a key, a fundamental key. Here's a quote about you, George. Quote, I've done radio promotions for 30 years, and George is a real pro, especially at creating promotions that make for happy sponsors, unquote. How important is it to appeal to potential clients with creative ideas today to solve their problems? No, no two ways around it, Lloyd. Today, especially today, when radio is fighting for its very um, existence as a bona fide influencer channel, I use the word influencer, mm-hmm. it's extremely important, in my opinion, now more than ever, to come up with creative stuff. You know, I, I still sell, and I just picked up a local client um, that was just convinced they were not going to do radio, didn't work. Everybody that uh, they talked to, 
you know, brought them the uh, package of 100 spots and you'll be on these stations and here's your demo. And I said to the client who does, um, uh, who's got a niche market in uh, retro vinyl cassette, uh, eight tracks, music online, and this is right up my alley, right? So yeah. I said, hey, you know, Nick, we've I've got some ideas for you. And so to shortcut this, um, we as an industry, if we just for a second think about what our talents are doing, what's happening on the air, what are who our stations are, what does that shield represent? Think about that and just again engage eye to eye with that customer for a couple of seconds. Think of something that's unique, which is one of the things I love about TJ. You had him on your podcast here just a, yes. a while back is let's do something that's different than what we've been doing. And so we take that approach, things, the needle moves. The other, just quick asterisk here, Lloyd, is Mm -hmm. look, our our clients are smart. They know why we're showing up. Yes. If you show show up there and they see the brown bag and they know there's candy inside, they're they're, going to ask questions. So let's be unique. Let's come up with something different. Again, let's have a conversation. I love it. I love it. And this works for on air too, by the way. If you show yes. up, be different, be different, be special, get people's attention by doing something that's compelling and focused on them. Listen, you took a job with New Northwest Broadcasters in Montana. I feel like I should slow down here, but I'm going to save slowing down for a question that's coming up in a couple. A lot of people talk about Montana, George. What attracted you to Montana and was radio different in Montana? The attraction to Montana was uh, it was it was career based, but also it was a part of the world I had always wanted to wanted to see. So it was um, it was a promotion for me to uh, vice president, general manager for the group uh, in that market. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, you know, I I'm a gypsy by nature Lloyd. So I thought, wow, this is going to be cool to see that part of the world. Yeah. Um, Radio. Is it a little different or is it different? It's not different in respect to what we do. There's some tremendous talent. I was in Billings and there was some tremendous talent there. There, a very talented market. Um, I was blessed uh, with a group that had arguably um, the best talent pool I had ever worked with and or managed. Incredible. I mean, these guys were like the Swiss Army knives of broadcasting. It was awesome, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so in regard to how we affected um, broadcast and what we did and the personalities and the exposure, um, it, it's what we do as a whole everywhere for all the broadcast professionals that do this. You know, culturally, it's a little different, different part of the world. Uh, different things, you know, we attended more uh, rodeos and, and things around, you know, that than anything else and climate wise a little bit different, but, but great broadcasters, Lloyd, great market. Excellent. Well, listen, you notice we're getting closer and closer to the now I'm, I'm only at 2009, but listen, this is so instructive. And I'm curious about this. You made a return in 2009 to buy coastal media. Why did you choose to return? Well, I, uh, at the end of my um, uh, term in Billings, I was going to get into ownership. So I was looking to buy some stations. I was looking in Florida because I thought, again, I'm a gypsy at heart. So Florida would be a cool place to live, right? It's warm there. 
Well, again, um, if I can outrun the alligators and crocodiles, I'd be okay. So I uh, began a search to start looking for stations. And I remember that our company uh, by Coastal had some stations in Northern California that I also thought I might be interested in buying. So I reached out again to my mentor and current uh, employer, Mike, and I said, hey, you guys interested in uh, selling your stations? And he said, we might be, but would you be interested in coming back to work for me? <laughs> so, he drew you back in. <laughs> so that, so that I, dangerous, George. Know, right? So I, re I remember uh, mulling it over, thinking about it. And I thought, ownership, you know, a paycheck that's going to show up, ownership, a paycheck. Yeah, you know, right. I didn't have to worry, you know, all those other things that ownership uh, has to go through. And I thought, you know what, this would be a great opportunity to come back. And and um, I uh, uh, I liked the company and I left, you know, again, for um, uh, purposes of trying to uh, grow my career. So. Um, mm -hmm. The opportunity to come back was very appealing to me, and and so here I am. I'm so glad you talked about growth there because this next thing really, I, I don't know that it caught me off guard, but it was it was interesting enough to where you remember a couple of questions ago I said I was going to slow down. I'm willing to slow down right now. Okay. You became the director of interactive services. That sounds that sounds sneakily like digital. You were also market manager from 2014 to 2019. Did you find digital to be challenging? That's number one. Was it fun? And what is the secret about digital for radio, in your opinion? So, in first of all, the I, I find digital. I love it. Um, I have an affinity for it, Lloyd. And it sounds crazy, but I get it. I I mm -hmm. got it from the beginning when we launched interactive. Uh, with our company, we started we started in a focused spot, and that was websites. So back in 2014, there weren't many companies really outside or inside broadcast, I should say, um, mm -hmm. you know, working on that. And we thought, well, gosh, this is a great additional revenue stream. So uh, Mike and I had talked that over, and we kind of built it, and so away we went, and we did relatively well with it. Um, mm -hmm. And then you know, fast forward. Digital is, I break it down this way because I run into this internally. I've run into it in our company and, and it can be a stumbling block. So what I've tried to do over the last four or five years, Lloyd, is remove digital from the conversation. And I've also tried to remove radio from the conversation and I'll explain. Okay. Today, Lloyd, you and I can have a conversation regardless of what business you're in. We can have a conversation about where are you looking to go? What are your goals? What does that entail? Who's that consumer base? You know, what are they thinking about? Where are they? And we, Lloyd, any broadcast company in the country today, any seller, manager, programming person right. can say this. You know what? We have a way to do that. Yes, we have we have a way to do that. Well, what is that way? Listen, if you if you're not against 20, 25 minutes, let's talk about it. I think we have some right. ideas. That's as hard oh. as I make it now. There's that word ideas. You know what you've just done, George? You have flipped something from let me tell you about radio sales to let's talk about your business. What does your business need? What does your business want? What does it look like? 
there's no focus on you. It's all about what are the needs, and then the solution comes, and it's from your arsenal of things that you have. Is am I understanding that correctly? A- absolutely. And and Lloyd, this is not a new novel concept because because broadcasters are doing it today. But yes. but what I want to put the asterisk next to is is we hear and I can't I don't know what you hear or see Lloyd but but I watch this industry and I watch the marketing industry very closely I'm a student of it so I'm constantly engaged with it and yes. what I constantly see in broadcast TV and our brethren in television is we're still trying to separate radio and digital and trying to have linear conversations with two different topics mm-hmm neurologically that can't work the brain doesn't work that way the brain's going to pick one and then it's going to pick two that's science if we can take the two labels out of the equation and have one conversation about one topic i think it's a different flow at the end you bet you bet uh my friend chris fleming calls that being sale uh what is it uh product is agnostic yes (laughs) so he's just like Let's talk about your issue and then let's let's solve it together, you know, and that's the strongest way to do it. Listen, since 2017, and I'm kind of mixing all this up in here because you've got all these jobs kind of at the same time. I don't know if it's that clear to people. And since 2017, you've also been the market manager for Medford, Oregon. Can you tell us about your stations today? There are six stations here uh, and we have. um formatically everything from uh, 18 to 65 country classic hits uh, we're about to put on an r&b hip-hop format uh, that's geared more toward the classics uh, okay. and a conservative talk station which does extremely well here uh, yeah. programming very well aligned I'm, I'm in a market that's very very competitive there's some great broadcasters here um, you know in, on a saturation level I haven't looked at the data in a couple of years, but there's a lot of there's a lot of market or excuse me a lot of broadcast going on in this market, Lloyd. Um, mm-hmm. I have a I have a you know a minimal staff uh, post COVID, but I am blessed with this. Uh, the team here are again they're veterans. We have a veteran team. We we get in we get into the seats of the aircraft we need to every day. We take care of that business we need to. When we need to collaborate, we will. Um, our, you know, growth opportunity is A, ideas, and B, exposing those ideas to potential new clients. But um, proud of the, I'm proud of the broadcasters in this market, Lloyd. I mean, all quality broadcasters. And what's great is, is when I listen around, you know, I can take myself back to 1974's KFRC in San Francisco. Or, you know, 1988 Sly 96 or, you know, 1991's Power 106 in Los Angeles. I could take us back to all of those things in this market, all of those genres. And it's fun. It's fun to hear. It's fun to hear what we do, Lloyd, but it's fun to hear what the rest of the world is doing, too. That's exactly right. Listen, um, let's talk about the future of radio a little bit. We all like to speculate about the future. There's not a dang person anywhere that knows the future. Uh, if if you meet that person, please know that they are foolish by saying that they know <laughs> yes, the future. Yes. But this is not going to stop me from asking you, what would you like to see local radio become in the future? 
I'd like to see us stay on the path we're on creatively. I hear of I hear a lot of creativity from the P1s down to the micro markets. In our company, Lloyd, we have some very small markets. And again, I think as an old guy now, <laughs> I think if we could stay on the creative path and and stay local as much as we possibly can, that is going to continually resonate regardless of the generations up and coming. Granted, they may have different first and second choices. But I would say this, and I just I was on a call here about two years ago and, and raised this. You know, maybe Cool FM in Medford isn't broadcast at 103.5 and 100.7 in Grants Pass. Maybe it's broadcast primarily on your phone or mm-hmm. your, you know, virtual reality device with a virtual reality George Michaels on the air or Scuba Steve and then maybe a virtual reality promotion. But it's still going to be Cool 103. And it's still going to have a personality connected to it. So in my mind, and I'm kind of an ethereal thinker, if you haven't figured that out, if we just remember that down the road, we might not deliver to the tip of an antenna somewhere, but possibly to somebody's ears directly or eyes directly. Excellent. You know, look, all things change across time. People don't generally change. Like human nature doesn't change, but technology changes and maybe delivery path and that kind of stuff. I always tell people, you know, if you think back to D-Day in the 1940s in World War II, very famous. Okay. What did they do on D-Day? Well, they put men in these little boats and they went ashore and they had a battle on the beach. They took the beachhead. Where was D-Day in Afghanistan? Do you know what it was, George? I don't. It was 20 guys, 20 guys with laptops, and they mm-hmm. dropped them into the mountains, and they had a way to talk to these B-52 bombers. So things change across time. I hear you talking about your cluster of radio stations, and you specifically use the words post-COVID, smaller staff. You know, that's just change across time. The creativity is still so important, and we're so lucky to have somebody like you not only in our business, but to be that thing that you just told us was important just a few minutes ago for uh, for helping salespeople make their jobs easier, make their jobs more productive, and that is teaching. George, I want to thank you for spending this time with us and being our guest today. Thank you, Lloyd. I had a lot of fun. I appreciate the invitation. Thank you. All right. Well, listen, please don't take for granted what we're doing here. Help us by sharing this episode. You can do that directly from our website at RainmakerPathway.com. It's in the free blog section. You can share it with others who are interested in growing their career in radio. Now, now listen, this episode of The Encouragers, the Radio Rally podcast, is designed like the 140 plus others in our archive already to encourage radio pros at all levels. So please, if you haven't subscribed, do that. Share that with others. Let them know what's going on. And please, if you're in sales, connected to sales in any way, don't forget about our Q1 free sales event. This is not us selling you. This is us 
trying to encourage local sellers to make more money, generate more revenue in Q1 2024, January 11th on this podcast. We do want to say uh, a very special thank you today to George Viola, who is the market manager for Black Coastal Media in Medford, Oregon, and frankly, so much more. A very special thank you to Joe Kelly for producing the Encouragers, the Radio Rally podcast, which we make available moments after this live interview. Thank you to JustJoeProductions.com for creating our audio footprint and distributing our podcast. Listen, we say this all the time on our podcast. I say it to clients regularly. Once you have a radio station, you can get anything else you want. Got questions about that philosophy? Reach out to me. It is my passion to tell you. I'd love to share it with clients and prove it to clients every single day, too. Please remember, if you don't remember anything from this episode, be kinder than you have to be. Thank you for being a part of the Radio Rally with the Encouragers. Now go make it a great week in local radio.